0: Welcome to Enterprising, a podcast from Enterprise Bank & Trust that's empowering business leaders, one conversation at a time. We'll hear from different business leaders about how they've found success in cultivating their professional networks and keeping them healthy and strong. I'm your host, Alana Mueller, an entrepreneurial executive leader whose primary focus is to connect, inspire, and empower community. We at Enterprise Bank & Trust thank you for tuning in to another episode. Listeners, welcome back to Enterprising Podcast. So great to have you here. It is also great to have our wonderful guest today, Janet McCard. Janet is the founding partner of the McCard firm. She's also an award-winning speaker and longtime faculty member for Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. The McCard firm specializes in forensic accounting, fraud prevention, and accounting reconstruction. Together with her partners and staff, Janet conducts forensic and investigative accounting in matters concerning alleged white-collar crimes, embezzlements, employee theft, and other disputed accounting issues. Janet, welcome to Enterprising Podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here today. It was, it, it was very sweet for you guys to invite me to join you.
0: Well, I'm so excited to have you. And honestly, I mean, your job just sounds like super awesome, interesting, and you know, almost like you're a spy. I just really like it. I'm into those kinds of novels. So I cannot wait to hear more about you and what you do with the McCard Firm. In fact, start, if you would, by telling our listeners about the company and what was your inspiration for launching.
1: Wow. Like so many people who become entrepreneurs, well, and I don't know, maybe it's the other way around, but I find it surprising when people refer to me as an entrepreneur, because that's not why I started the company. I had no desire to found anything. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to create for me the best job on the planet. And I couldn't find it anywhere. So I made it. I had been working in a traditional accounting firm and it wasn't, I was doing work that I liked, but nobody there really understood how my job was different, how my focus was different than everybody else. And I finally came to the conclusion that the only way I could make it work would be to be my own boss. And so I founded the company in the spring of 2009 off my kitchen table. It was just me. My joke back then was that if the firm got any smaller, I'd have to lose weight.
0: (laughs) I love that, actually. Yeah.
1: It was that little. It's gotten a little bit bigger. And depending on the year you ask about, some years, it's much bigger. Some years, it's not much bigger. But even when I took my partner in with me, she and I are both life partners and business partners. We are together all the time. All the time. (laughs) All the time. And when I brought her into the business, we sat down and like tried to figure out what we wanted it to look like for us both on a professional and personal level and we realized we didn't want a big business. We didn't want to grow so much that we were no longer doing the work that we loved because I'll tell you I have the best job on the planet for me. Now other people wouldn't think that but for me I have the best job on the planet. And we created the firm in a way that we can do the stuff that we love and do less of the stuff we don't love. And the only way to do that was by creating our own business. And so that's exactly what we did.
0: I mean, it makes sense. And you clearly saw a market need. I mean, there it was obvious you were doing the work that you liked already, but finding it difficult to operate within the context or I would call it the confines of a traditional accounting firm, right? So-
1: I completely agree with that, within the confines of a traditional accounting firm. hmm
0: Yeah, and so the market has obviously responded favorably to what you're offering, and there's a clear need. I mean, when I go back and I read kind of that white-collar crimes, embezzlements, employee theft, other disputed accounting issues, it really is sort of the thing that you know these crazy stories are made of, and yet you know how to address it, and so few of us do. So when we find ourselves in the unfortunate circumstance that we're having to address one of those topics, you're
1: there. Well, the adage is that there's the world's oldest profession, which we all know what that is. And then there's the world's second oldest profession, which is fraud. It is really kind of like the full employment, for me anyway, for what I do. There's lots of it out there. And over the years, what I've realized, and I think many people have realized, but there's a lot more fraud out there than actually gets investigated.
0: Mm, I'm sure that's true.
1: All you have to do is open a news feed on the internet and you see yet one more example of fraud. We focus on small to mid-sized businesses, so we're not going to do investigations in SEC companies. You know, there's an ongoing SEC investigation in the news right now having to do with bed, bath, and beyond. People tend to think of white-collar crime as nonviolent, it's just money, but the fact is money is a pretty good motivator for a lot of stuff which is really unpleasant. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right.
1: And it happens all the time, everywhere.
0: And it's very personal, right? It's very personal. This is not just business, as they say. You know, that's one of the things that drives me crazy is when people say, oh, nothing personal. It's just business. And I think, gosh, I spend an awful lot of time on my business. It's pretty personal.
1: (laughs) Precisely. And, you know, as a small business owner, if someone steals from you, it feels like a personal attack.
0: It feels like a violation. It's a violation.
1: Precisely. And so we walk in. So I'm a CPA. I'm also a licensed private investigator. And so if that small business becomes a victim of fraud, we can go in and do the investigation and assist the police department because most police departments don't have the skill set that I do and that my partner does. We bring that skill set to the table to follow the money and figure out where it went and figure out if there was in fact a crime.
0: Yeah. So cool. So, you know, I want to dig more into this, but before we do that, I want to maybe take you back a few years if I can. So,
1: back. So I know this is a podcast, not a visual. This is there. there There's no video to go with this. But for your listeners, my hair is completely white. So she's taking (laughs) back the days when my hair was brown. Just be warned. Okay, go ahead.
0: (laughs) I love that. Okay. Well, so you know, my particular topic is relationships and networking, and one of the things that I've observed over the years about networking is that people that I meet are often in career transition. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you actually did not begin as a CPA. In fact, my understanding is that you began as an artist That's and cool. then became an, a forensic accountant. So I would say on the surface, the two seem rather different, but I suspect that some of the skills you mastered as an artist also played a role in you switching careers and going into accounting. So with that, can you talk about, that move, and how you were able to leverage your previous experience to successfully set yourself on this new path.
1: I can. It's circuitous. I'll just, fair warning, it's circuitous. My undergraduate degree is in dance. So I was a performing (gasps) artist. Yeah. So it's not just art. I didn't know that part. (laughs) mm -hmm. Yeah, it's dance. So my bachelor's degree is in dance. And I was a performing artist starting at, I don't know, call it 12, 13. Before that, I was a I took piano lessons. I kind of sucked at it, but I took piano lessons, but in guitar for that matter. Wow, where did that memory come from? <laughs> anyway, so I was a dancer in high school and I performed professionally as a dancer in high school. And I knew I was going to college because that was expected in my family, but I didn't know what else to do. So I went to college as a dancer, thinking I would get a degree that I could use to go teach people to dance. What I realized not very far into that was that you didn't actually make a living at dance. Dance was never going to pay a mortgage. It seemed like a pretty terrible idea to pay a lot of money for a degree in dance. And I'll save your listeners all the personal details. But suffice to say that my parents sort of ran out of money partway through my bachelor's degree and I left school. So I got my bachelor's degree on the 11-year plan. It took me 11 years to finish my bachelor's. By the time I went back to, because I was out for three and a half, four years, something like that. When I went back to finish my degree, I was going to switch and get a business degree, but I would have started over as a second semester freshman instead of a junior where I dropped out. And that struck me as a really terrible business decision. So instead of getting like losing all those credits and working on a business degree, I finished my undergraduate degree, got a Bachelor of Arts in Dance, and then immediately went into the MBA program. And what had happened in the interim was that I had started working in an office and was doing bookkeeping and really kind of enjoyed it and wanted to learn a little more and took a fundamentals of accounting course from a fabulous woman, local CPA, who's still in practice here in Albuquerque. She's just amazing. She was a great teacher and I loved it. I loved accounting. It had all the, and this is your question. This is the answer to your question. The similarity is that dance, you're always playing with balance as you go across the stage or you work on choreography. You're always slightly off balance, moving into the next motion. You're always trying to find where the balance point is. And that's exactly what you do in accounting. Every transaction has to balance.
0: So true.
1: I thought it was fabulous. I would sit and do my accounting homework and just giggle. Okay, I've marked myself as a true geek.
0: Yeah, I mean seriously, right? Like I mean, this is like accounting geek 101. I
1: love it. Oh, wow. <laughs> totally an accounting geek. I loved it. Like the symmetry of accounting was really attractive to me. And you know, to be clear, I had always fought that battle, maybe it's not a battle, had the gift of using both sides of my mind. When I was a freshman in the dance program, I wanted to go take college algebra. And they said, you don't need it to graduate. Why do you want to take it? And I said, because I don't want to take basic math. I know how to add. I know how to balance my checkbook. I want to take college algebra. And I had to get a special exception to go take college algebra as a dance. Okay, That's
0: nuts, right? I mean, and well, I know for me, Uh, You know, I was fortunate. I went to a women's college, so I was a math major. And so, of course, all of the students in the math program were women. So there was no question that women could take and should take math. Right. But I suspect had I not gone to a women's college, that may not have been the case.
1: Well, and then let's fast forward to just before I finished my bachelor's degree, so 11 years later, I wanted to take another math class. And so I enrolled in advanced college algebra. And I'm a senior now and I'm taking it as an elective, a dance major taking advanced college algebra right. as an Well, what I didn't know was that that was a prep course for pre-med. And oh. my first day in class, the professor called me out in front of 30 people and said, McCard, you're from the fine arts department. You're gonna wash out of this class. You need to drop. And what he didn't know was that when someone says something like that to me, I'm just determined. Exactly. Out of the 32 people who started that class, there were only five of us who finished, all women. Of course. And I had the second best <laughs> grade in the class. I ended up with a B plus. Love it. He was forced to apologize to me. Good. Oh, but like, don't humiliate me like that in public because honey, it is not going to go well. Right. If you want to see right. stubborn, I can do stubborn.
0: I love it. I love that you did that. And I, I mean, the thing that I think is so interesting, I mean, you talk about the beauty and the symmetry and kind of the balance, the equilibrium. I remember I once gave a talk on, called "Math is Beautiful," and you know when you talk about the ability to use both sides of your brain, I really think that's important. I mean, when I learned that about you, that you started as an artist and then did kind of this one eighty to get into accounting, to me it it doesn't feel so surprising. But I do find that you know people often, whether they are pigeonholed by others outside of themselves or do it to themselves. People have a sense for, you know, I studied this one thing. I studied marketing. So all I can do is marketing. I studied fine arts. All I can do is fine arts. I actually think that all of that sort of makes us, it gives us more depth. And I think it actually makes us better, whatever we choose to do, even if it's not a a direct one on one-to-one approach to what it is that we're seeking, right?
1: Well, I'm convinced and I I learned this theory. I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. I've always been kind of a science geek. And I was reading about connections, you know, how this invention became this invention. And had there not been the need to learn how to fire shot put more straight and cannonballs that, you know, trying to figure out how to bore out cannons so cannonballs traveled safely, we wouldn't be able to have cars of the 20th century because they had to figure out how to bore it out to get the drivetrain. And that's kind of been the theme of my life, even though at the time, when I moved from dance to accounting, it even felt jarring to me. The message that I have as somebody who is now white-headed and looking back on her career is everything you do in your life will contribute to what you later do, even if you can't see at the moment how.
0: Totally agree with that. I love that. I'm actually going to use that you know, as sort of a transition to my next question of you. But I, I couldn't agree with you more that all the, the collection of experiences and opportunities and people and things that we've seen and done and heard and tasted and smelled that all contributes to the next thing you know so I just love that okay so with that you know one of the things that I always like to talk with my guests about is how we make connections or, or relationships mutually beneficial I want to kind of twist that my traditional question a little bit for you and I want to ask you about, the work that you do. So specifically, how can networking play a role in fraud and social engineering attempts? So and we can look at this both from the positive and conversely from the negative. You know, if we become too trusting, if we don't trust enough. How, how do you think about that and how do you sort of think about relationships when it comes to fraud and social engineering?
1: So when you get into the this concept of social engineering, essentially what you're getting into is a danger zone where a fraudster can potentially learn enough about you through networking that they can pretend they're you online, for example, and break into accounts. Because we've all had this happen. I did this yesterday. I was like setting up some, I don't know, online profile and they wanted three security questions and the answers to those security questions. And they hope to make it close enough to the person that only the person would know the answer to, but far enough away that somebody who is practicing social engineering can't get to the answer. And the funny thing about it is that it's always a bit weird, those questions like, well, have I released this information publicly? How do you even know the the places I used to live? And I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of a, I'm a lurker on social media. Because a lot of that social social engineering and the information that potential fraudsters can get about you, they get off your social media accounts, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or any of those. I have a profile in Facebook. I think I've posted once in ten years. I go on periodically and I see what my friends are up to, and you know I don't post much. And I have a LinkedIn account. It's purely professional. I don't put personal stuff up on LinkedIn. It's just not my thing. Uh, and maybe that's generational, but. I'm a little more careful than a lot of people because let's face it, the investigations that we do can put someone in jail and they do occasionally get pissed about that. So, yeah,
0: I bet that's right.
1: I try to be a little more circumspect just because of my own profession. But as you're networking, learning about people is one of the things that I think is cool. Well, you know, what are they excited about? What are their interests? What brings them passion? And that's how you make true connections in a networking setting. And whether that networking is online or in person, that's how you make those connections. And I love doing that, especially in person. I Like I said, I'm terrible at it online. That's just not my thing. But it's exactly the same conversation that somebody who has who has a desire to steal your identity is going to use that information to try to steal your identity. I suggest a little caution around that.
0: What I'm hearing you say is, I hope this is right, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Keep building relationships. Of course, I mean that's the fun of life is having these relationships and getting to know other people and learning about them and their experiences. But
1: that's also how you get the best jobs.
0: It is how you get the best jobs for sure, <laughs> for sure. So don't quit it. Right, but be cautious online when you're putting your information out in the cloud. Just be be mindful of what you're putting out there. And you know, it's one of those things where back to balance and equilibrium. I mean, I I think that that's another one of those things you have to think about. I mean, so, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you and we can just sort of go there is what do people need to do to look out or spot fraud or scams while they're making connections? So along these same lines, it's like, um, you know, I know for me, like I've taken the online cybersecurity courses and I get the phishing, the phishing tests to make sure I'm doing it right. But what should sort of the everyday person be
1: looking for? Anything that seems intrusive I think that's the rule of thumb. If it seems intrusive and that part of your brain, which is the protection part of your brain, wants to sit up and say, whoa, hang on a second here, I would suggest at that point that you take a step back in that networking connection and maybe ask around, see if everybody knows that person, if this is someone new to the environment, be a little more cautious. You know, particularly if it's a online connection I'm really careful about somebody I don't know who's asking information from me through a LinkedIn message or an email. I'm very, very careful about that. I would rather insult somebody. And that's what you have to be able to do. You have to be willing to insult somebody or not be polite to them and say no or walk away or not no. reply if it's an email or some other kind of electronic messaging, you have to just be willing to not respond because any response sometimes is too much.
0: It's enough, right? Enough for some, for something to happen. Well, so, so for you, how do you actively manage your own network? What do you do to build relationships and and to market yourself?
1: Like I've sort of referenced a couple of times, I'm kind of old school. I do have a LinkedIn profile. I post periodically, not very often, And when I post, it's because it's something that means something to me or someone that means something to me. I am a real believer that fewer really quality connections is better than many low quality connections. So I concentrate on the, I mean, the fact is it's more than this, but the few dozen people that I know can make a difference. In my life, and they can make a difference in my life. That's where I'm going to spend most of my energy. And frankly, the life is too short not to have fun. So (laughs) many of my connections are people who are also friends, but who can refer me in my business. Our firm is almost exclusively by referral. I mean, we do some. Not surprised. But it's almost exclusively by referral. And so we spend a lot of time staying in contact with people we have previously done work with or who's previously referred us. And that's my most important networking method.
0: Do you find, based on that answer, that the work that you do is, are your clients often proactive or are they reactive when something has happened or a combination?
1: Wow. You've just started a new topic, which is a two-hour topic, but I'll give you short. <laughs> a answer. Nobody believes that they're going to be a victim of fraud. Right. Nobody does. So of our entire client population, less than 3% of our work is proactive and 97% of our work is reactive. Nobody wants to think it's going to happen to them. And I think it's part of the human condition. Generally speaking, in white collar crime, the person who is stealing is someone who is trusted it's very hard for us to believe that somebody who is trusted will breach that trust.
0: Yeah. I mean, the disappointing thing about that is it's not just in white collar crime, right? I mean, when we hear this about really all crime.
1: And any ended relationship, you know, certainly there are crimes where there's no relationship between the criminal and the victim. And so, there's a violation of safety, but there's maybe not a violation of trust. But right. anytime there is a crime and a victim where they know each other and had a, a trusting relationship prior to the event, the violation of trust is sometimes the worst part of it. And yeah. so we hear from business owners all the time, this person stole $50,000 from me and it's not the money. It's that I trusted them. It's that yeah, I gave so hurt, right? right. They're so I, hurt. They've been with me for years. I gave them a, present on their birthday they brought me flowers when my mom died or whatever you know we were friends and they violated that trust and that's the thing that i think is maybe the hardest for the victim of a white collar crime is the violation of trust that is inherent to it
0: you have a lot of skills and experience and, and expertise that people are seeking, but I bet one of the greatest gifts that you give your clients is sort of, sort of a restoration of some trust and that you can be trusted. So I, I really think that's so cool. Along those lines, I'd love to hear from you. What's one interaction or relationship that you have that has resulted in a breakthrough for you, either personally or professionally?
1: Wow. That's not a question I expected. It's my wife. Yeah. Marrying her was the best day of my life. Oh, I love that. We've been married for 11 plus years now.
0: Amazing. Did you work together before that?
1: We did. And yeah. um, we've known each other for a few years before that, but we got married in 2011 and it, it changed my world.
0: Well, I mean, to me, I mean, I can see, I know our listeners can't see, but I can see the look on your face and just sort of like the genuine, like heart and soul that you are responding with, which I just think is, I mean, it's kind of choking me up. So it's really so beautiful and sweet. What it hearkens back for me is your comment about the importance of a few really solid, deep connections and how important that is for you. And, you know, people are different. There, there can be benefit to a, a lot of sort of loose connections, so to speak, a lot of, you know, not so deep, but lots of connections in the community. But you know, there's no replacement for those really deep, solid, trusting people in your life. I mean, it's kind of that friend who says you're my person, whether it's a business relationship, a friendship, a romantic relationship. I just think that it's so beautiful to be able to find those. So I, I love that you shared that. So thank you for for getting so personal. I really, really appreciate that. And just kind of a fun note, if if you could meet anybody. And I always ask my guests this question. I just, I love the answers to this question. If you could meet with anyone living, not living, fictional, non-fictional for a cup of coffee, who would it be and why?
1: Okay. This is going to be an answer you didn't expect. In addition to like my love of art and my love of music, I'm also a huge sports fan. Dick and the sports, he yeah. died a few years ago and I cried the day he died. Uh, I felt like I'd lost lost a parental figure. I had been listening to him call baseball, tennis, football. I watched him be inducted into the Baseball Broadcasters Hall of Fame when he won the Frick Award. He was an amazing human being, and he was, in my view, the best sportscaster ever. And watching baseball, to me, is my balm. Love it. It's how I relax. It's how I calm down. I go into depression when the baseball season's over. And I always looked forward to Dick is going to be back, you know, spring training coming. And then he retired. And I thought, okay, well, he'll fill in occasionally. And then he suddenly died. And if I had one person, I could sit down with a cup of coffee and just to have a 30-minute conversation with. It would probably be Dick Enberg.
0: Okay, that is one of the best responses ever. I love it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. It has been just like the most sincere pleasure talking with you. I, I think we could probably go on for another few hours. I have lots oh, of more questions.
1: You, if you, if you <laughs> want to be, Back, I'd be happy.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. In the meantime, tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and more about the McCard
1: firm. Our website is ww.themacard firm.com and it's Mac Like McDonald's, Hard Like Hard is a Rock. So just come to love the it. website and if you negotiate around a little bit, you can find my V card that has all my contact information in it.
0: So cool. Jana McCard, thank you so much for being with us on Enterprising Podcast.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Enterprising. Be sure to visit our website, enterprisebank.com slash podcast to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in today's program, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or telling a friend about us. Enterprising Powering Business Leaders, one conversation at a time. The views expressed by enterprising presenters or guests are those of the presenter or guest and not necessarily of Enterprise Bank & Trust or its affiliates. All content of this podcast and any related materials are for informational purposes only. Enterprise Bank & Trust does not make any warranty, express or implied, including warranties of merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose, and specifically disclaims any legal liability or responsibility for the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of any information presented. Enterprise Bank and Trust is not under any obligation to update or correct any information
1: provided in this podcast. All statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.